Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. We're working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. This is our 223rd meeting on the New Testament, and uh, we're ramping up, heading towards the end. By the end of this year, right around, I think, we'll get it done. Um, we've got Second Peter coming, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation, and then uh, um, that'll be the end of the New Testament, and then we'll, we'll gear up and head right into the Old Testament, and uh, we'll, we'll plug through that. That will take 15 more years. Then we'll, I think we'll do the New Testament again. What do you say? Uh, I'm sure I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll have learned some more stuff in 15 years um, when we go at it again. So, it's all good. Um, anyway, as, I, as I, we always, when we start this, I tell you why we do it like this chapter at a time. Context. So important to hold the scripture in context. The, uh, it's too easy to take it, you know, a piece here and a piece there and a piece there, and you need to be careful when you hear that coming at you because that happens, um, and, and it's, not, it's not necessarily bad. Um, you know, sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, I'll take some verses from, uh, you know, other spots, but I always want to make sure that when they come out of where they're coming from, they're coming over in context. So they mean something in the context of where they're written, written and that's important to understand when you study the Scripture. There's a, there's a, they mean something there, and if you're going to take one verse out of there, it still needs to mean whatever it means there when you use it over here. And the idea of going through it a chapter at a time like this is you begin to understand the importance of context and, and how it relates to your study of the Scripture. So it's just a very important part of the process. And, um, and so I, you know, and I hope you find it interesting. I, I think it's, we're doing a, uh, uh, besides Sunday nights, I, I, and we're going through the Old Testament on the, on the Old, Old Testament survey. I've been working with the young leaders through the New Testament. when it's just faster. I mean, obviously we don't have, you know, five years to do it. So uh, we, we kind of go at a different pace. But, it, you know, it's wonderful to see uh, how all these things work together and how it all fits and, and how amazing God is uh, and, and how amazing the Word of God is and what a joy it is to have uh, the Word and how well put together it is and how, uh, how amazing, what lengths were, were, have been gone to um, by God to preserve it for us. Uh, and the joy that we get to to read it, and you know, we we always want to be um, in our in this culture and in in the, this day and age. For us, you know, it's it's normal for us to have a, multiple copies of Bibles, and now electronically we have all sorts of access to the Word of God. Um, and that that with all this access, we need to make sure we never take it for granted. That we take time to to read it and study it and ponder it, because it's just such an amazing amazing thing. I was. So I was thinking about it. today. I was studying for Sunday night, and it was talking about how how we know about you know we can understand that the scripture we have how well preserved it is, and that up until 1947, the oldest copy of the Old Testament that we had was from about 900 A.D. So um, that was a, the oldest that we had found that had survived 900 A.D. So we based everything up until the 40s on that text as being the oldest one we had. And then um, when they discovered in 1947 the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found the entire Old Testament on scrolls, and they dated it back to 150 B.C., which is good, right? That's a thousand years difference. And then they compared the two from 150 B.C. to what we'd been working with that was about 850, 900 A.D. They were virtually identical. That's fascinating when you think about how many copies had been made and, and how meticulous the scribes were in keeping it intact 
because they knew it was how um, God would want it to the point where when, they, when, a, when the scribes, they had a system where when they, when they were, were copying this text, the scripture, they would count on the page, each page, how many letters there were, how many words there were, and how many lines there were. And that would be a known thing. And at the end of every page, that would be checked and double-checked. And if there wasn't the exact number of letters, the exact number of words, and the exact number of lines, they would hunt until they found it. And, and th that kind of detail preserved for us the Word of God um, in, in, in uh, incredible ways. When you think about how incredible that is, that what we had was our oldest, was pretty old, when they found something a thousand years older, and it was almost virtually identical. That's fascinating. And it, uh, it, it should help... Um, sort of make us understand how amazing the Word of God is that we have today. So uh, we're in First Peter right now, and um, Peter, in this first letter, you know, his main topics have been um, holiness is probably the main thing, um, you know, living holy lives, and, and then over the last week or two, we, about suffering in Christ, and that um, what that looks like, and that, you know, I, I said to you in the course of the study that this is a, you know, it's a fallen world and a broken planet, and it's part of what we have to deal with until Jesus comes back. Um, and, and yet, you know, this is the best life that you can have until he comes back as a life in Christ, and that, that we have all sorts of things available to us because of that life, but um, it's not a pass on difficult situations because the world's a broken place, and we live in it. And, and we talked about the reasons why it's broken and our part in that and everything else. But there's no better life than the one we have in Christ and uh, uh, Peter's been making that point and talking about that in this letter. And here in chapter 5 of this letter, he's sort of closing out, and he, he starts with a, an encouragement, if you would, to the leaders of the church. And then he goes through some, some characteristics, you know, they're sort of uh, what, leader, what characteristics leaders in the church should have. And then he talks about characteristics, really, that all of us should have uh, in the church, and we'll, we'll sort of concentrate most of our time in this chapter on those things. But let me read it to you. It's 14 verses, not very long, and then we'll have a little discussion, and then uh, we'll go from there. First Peter 5, beginning in verse 1. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. That's what's on the notes. If you have your own Bible, you can certainly read along in whatever translation you are comfortable with. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, 
encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So, uh, first five verses then is sort of, a, like I said, it's an encouragement, if you would, or an exhortation to um, leaders in the church. And, and the reminder is that Jesus is the chief shepherd. And until he returns, um, those who are called into leadership in the church, they need to have certain characteristics. Um, they, they, they need to always remember that the flock they're caring for belongs to God. That's extremely important. Um, that leaders in the church are, are called to be servants and that they're um, to lead by example, not by guilt, manipulation, uh, or any other type of tactic. Um, ultimately, any leadership role in the church should be one of servanthood and, and should be um, a, an example to all those who are pressing on in Jesus. And, and that's the, the charge of Peter to, to the elders in the church. Then he goes on in um, 6 through 11, uh, or 6 through the end, really. At the end, the last few verses are sort of a greeting. And he talks about these characteristics um, that should be a part of all of our lives. And there's a, a few of them that I think are really important that we talk about, um, as Peter mentions. Let me read to you again um, from 5, from the middle of 5 till the end of 10. Um, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So in those verses, I think there's some really key characteristics that are to be a part of our lives as believers. The first one that I want to talk about is humility. Humility. Um, all of you are to clothe yourselves with humility. All of us are to clothe ourselves with humility. And, and the, the way it's written there is humility is something we're supposed to wear like clothing. And, and in a world where pride is certainly the, the most worn garment, humility is what we're called to. And um, the idea of humility is, is, you know, Peter's telling us, really, that's where life is found. Humility is the, the starting point for holy living. Um, it's the reality that it's not all about me. Uh, uh, you know, and I, I say this all the time, it's some about me, which is good, but it's not all about me, and, and that uh, in order to in, engage in this life, we have to make that transition, because we come into this thing pretty much all about us. Uh, it's, it's sort of a natural state, when, whenever we move into a situation, we tend to look at it from us being the center of the universe. And, and in Christ, though, that, that begins to shift. And the reality is that, that he's at the center of everything. You know, we, we sang earlier, you know, Lord, be the center of my life. Um, and it's a, it's a shift. It's a change that needs to take place in us to experience the life that, that Jesus really has for us. Um, because we sort of need to get out of that center and get him in there and, and allow him in there. Uh, and then things begin to look differently. But it takes humility. It takes a, 
a spot that, that realizes, you know, it's, it's, if life is going to be found in him, then I want all in in him. I, I, I want, you know, what he wants, whatever that looks like. And w- whatever that looks like is going to be better than, than anything that I could, uh, you know, sort of achieve in my own strength or in my own, you know, way or in, in trying to guilt something to happen or whatever it might be, that none of that will be as good as, as the life that Jesus wants me to have because that's where I'm going to find life. But it starts with humility. Everything really starts with the realization that we just can't make it in our own strength. Uh, every change, I think, that we, we go through is, is that reality that, I, I, you know, in my own strength, I can't do anything. Um, my, I, don't, I don't have very good willpower. I don't know about you, but my willpower is questionable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, other, some, but you know, but his strength is amazing, and it's it's realizing how desperately we need his strength that gives us strength, and and so it's sort of like you know, that's the whole thing is backwards from our culture, but it's, it's like in our in our weakness he is strong. It says we go, yeah, I'm I'm a mess. I need help. That that it starts to change around, and then and then we become effective in the kingdom. But so many times, you know, in the scripture, you see people who. Um, who don't experience the life God wants them to have because they, they short-circuit everything by wanting glory for themselves or by wanting it their way, and they miss out on the better thing. And so it really starts with humility. Everything starts there. Every, every hope we have for change starts with the reality of our own brokenness and how desperately we need God in our lives to, to help us and to keep us on track. So Peter makes that point. We're to wear that humility like clothes. I mean, it's be something we should really, like you put it on. Because uh, it's not, it, it, usually it doesn't come to us in our nature. Our nature is the opposite, kind of very selfish. What about me? And we have to make this transition in him. And then uh, another big component of life in him, this holy living, is trust. And in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All your anxiety. That's a pretty good word. That word all, one of my favorite words. You know what all means? Oh, very good. So not some of your anxiety, not a little bit of your anxiety, not every now and again, all your anxiety. And I don't know about you, but um, sometimes I can get some anxiety about things, get a little worked up about something. And, and everything in your life that's causing you stress, anxiety, worry, is at some level a trust issue. At some level, it's a trust issue. Um, um, you know, we're casted on him, and, and uh, the idea, you know, it's, uh, I, I always think when you cast something, when you, when you cast a, a fishing line down here, you cast, you, you know, you, you put a pretty good distance between you and it if you do it right, and uh, that, that, you know, we're, we're casting this stuff on the Lord and asking him to take it and step into it. Now, it, it doesn't always mean the situation disappears, but how we feel about it should begin to change, um, because, I, you know, at some level, that verse 7 cast all your anxiety in him because the because is significant he cares for you I think at some level when we have trust issues about that we doubt that little part of the scripture oh, he cares for me I'm a mess how can he care for me he cares for you he loves you and um, he does want the, the best life that, that you can have now and forever you know and some uh, our messes sometimes throw things all over the place and consequences for our messes but but he really wants the best for us and he cares for us and so we 
You know, when, I, when you see that verse, I think it's helpful in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety in Him because He cares for you. You know, but like personalize that sometime instead of just reading it, He cares for you. You know, put your, He cares for me. God cares for me. He cares for me. Make it personal so that you begin to understand that. And, and, and He does care. He cares about everything that happens in your life. And again, that doesn't mean that, that nothing difficult will ever happen because it does. Fallen world, broken planet stuff happens to all of us. But He cares. And, and you know, if you, well, what's he doing about it? He, he ultimately took care of it already at the cross. And um, so he's, you've got that going for you. All this is temporary. Anyway. Um, and, and that reality helps. It's difficult sometimes. But, but he's got us and he cares for us. And we don't need to be filled with anxiety. And, um, you know, he's, he, he wants the very best for you. You can, you can trust him in that. And we'll face difficult times, but, but he'll see us through. The Apostle Paul talks about going through difficult times. And, and um, you know, because it, it, it doesn't, and that doesn't mean certainly that he was out of God's will or that God didn't care about him. Certainly he cared about Paul as he cared about all of us. Um, but, and, and Paul, if you remember when we did our study, he called those things he was going through light and momentary trials. Light and momentary. And if you read some of the stuff that Paul was going through, that's a fascinating description because Paul was like being shipwrecked bitten by snakes, beaten, hungry, naked, cold, chased out of town after town, stoned to death, um, numerous things, and the, oh, light and momentary. I kind of think of neither of those as light or, <laughs> or momentary. He did. He said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That was his description of light and momentary troubles. So you know the, the reality is no matter what you're going through keep your eyes on Jesus because he cares for you and you can trust him. So humility is a big thing. Trust is a big thing. Um, this you've probably never heard me say before but living by doing the next right thing is pretty significant as well. First uh, Peter 5, 8, 9 did, I, the description of that. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Be self-controlled and alert. Um, we have an enemy, who, very real, who wants to um, keep us from this life that God has for us. It's his stated purpose. I've come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he, that's, the, the enemy's come to do that. He, he came to do that. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. So, so we know his mission. We know what Jesus wants. And um, we, we see the enemy hard at work at this. And remember, you know, I like that verse. I've, I know I've told you this before in First Peter, but he runs, the enemy wanders around like a roaring lion. He's like a roaring lion because he's not the real lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's, he's like one, but he's not because he's been, in, a, in effect, rendered um, powerless at the cross, the enemy has. But he reuses a pretty big bag of tricks. And that's how he gets us now. It's tricks. Deceptions, lies, fabrications, guilt, shame, anything he can pile on us to keep us from, from in humility, trusting in Christ and walking in him and deciding to do the next right thing. And so we resist him by doing just that, by doing the next right thing. And when we do mess up, which we all do, we don't get stuck there. We go running back to, to Jesus who loves us and we ask him to forgive us and he does and he sets us in the right direction once again and empowers us by his spirit to do the next right thing. It's not something that we do and take for granted because we, um, our hearts have been changed and we want to do the next right thing 
And that's all part of this process. And so, you know, don't get stuck in shame. The enemy gets you in that. Or in guilt, he gets you in that. Just know, okay, I messed up. God, will you forgive me? And he does. And then move and do the next right thing and don't go back to that any longer. Um, And then another neat thing he talks about is restoration. And I love this. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Really good news for all of us to know. God's in the restoration business, and uh, uh, he's, he uses the mess in our lives to help us become strong. God causes all things to work together for good. We sang that earlier. Uh, and he's the God of all grace. Um, and, and, and in Christ, you're not defined by the mess in your life that God takes, as the, the, takes the mess, mixes it with grace, and uses it to restore you and then gives us that same ministry in the world around us as people that are broken and yet restored by His grace that we can help people in that whole process and, and restore them. And remember, that message is, uh, is, is from Peter. And if you remember Peter, Peter messed up pretty bad there at the crucifixion, denying Christ three times. And yet Jesus came and restored him uh, because he's a God of restoration. And Peter was used mightily in the early church, mightily to get things running. And, and that's all about the grace and the love of God. And he'll do that with all of us. No matter how broken we are, how much we've missed it, he comes and he loves us and uses us. And Jesus wants us to have, you know, a, a satisfying, fulfilling life, holy life in him. And so that's pretty much it for First Peter. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that. We'll, we'll hop into Second Peter next week. We'll go from there. If you're watching on video or television, thank you very much. Spending time with us, we know how valuable your time is. Come and visit us. We'd love to have you. See you. Or go to the website if you need prayer or anything, and there's a place to do that there. So, God bless you.